Good morning. Welcome to Memorial United Methodist. My name is Joe Kate. I'm the pastor here. We're so grateful that you're here on Sunday morning. Um, this is without question. This is my 17th year of ministry. This is the most excited I've ever been coming back from vacation due to all of the work that we did this summer, um, the um, staff teamwork that we're building, um, the ideas and plans that we have for the, for the fall, and I'm grateful for all of it. We've worked this summer um, quite hard on our first Five first of our five practices that we try to celebrate um, here in our church, Radical Hospitality. We try to make the website before you ever come on campus as clear as possible. We try to make the email as helpful as possible. Um, we've created a um, podcast website where you can find all sorts of information, sundayscripturepodcast.com for things that are coming for Sunday morning. Um, there's a blog post there every Monday that you can use as a Sunday school lesson or devotion that's directly tied to what we're doing on Sunday morning. But we also also have made it when you walk on campus we're trying to make it as clear and concise as possible so you see on our bulletin boards on um, the same five practices you see in the bulletin the same five practices you see in the pews we have new cards for prayers and for new families so if you're new today we're not gonna make you stand up introduce yourself but we do want you if you're willing to fill out any part of that card that you'd like and we'll reach out to you as uh, as much as possible we have uh, um, ice cream social coming up uh, that's in your bulletin and in fact if you look in the radical hospitality section you'll see the family ministries event calendar we have a number of events coming up in the fall but Sunday August 20th uh, the Paris Mountain picnic shelter you see exactly where to go exactly what to bring exactly what it costs and we encourage you uh, to join us next week uh, also we believe in passionate worship and we have a significant thing that we're doing next week with the back-to-school blessing and school supplies. And um, because it's in the newsletter, which you can also find, I'm going to say, just say what it is. It's almost time for students and teachers to go back to school, and there's a great need for supplies for children whose families cannot afford them. Title I schools across the country have lost a lot of funding, and as a result, these schools have no money to help kids with supplies. All supplies are welcome, but these are the most needed items, if you can bring them to the church. Wide-ruled, I'm sure that's important for elementary, wide-ruled composition books, glue sticks, scissors, and pencils. We're collecting them until next week, and um, you can bring them by during the week or on Sunday morning. Uh, so composition books, glue sticks, scissors, or pencils, but I'm thinking any educator in the room would tell you that if you bring anything other than those four, I bet they can use that as well. Uh, we want to emphasize that as best as possible. Um, those are our announcements, but for the ones you see in your bulletin, we encourage you to take it home, put it on your refrigerator, and note all sorts of things that are coming up. If you'll stand as you're able and join us with our first hymn, number 62.
Let us now affirm our faith with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. may be seated. Our first scripture reading comes from Psalm 105, starting with verse 1, and you can find it on page 942, or within a couple of pages of that if you have a slightly different Bible. Psalm 105, verses 1 through 6. Give thanks to the Lord. Call on His name. Make known among the nations what He has done. Sing to Him. Sing praise to Him. Tell all of all His wonderful acts. Glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and His strength. Seek His face always. Remember the wonders He has done, His miracles, and the judgments He pronounced. O descendants of Abraham, His servant, O sons of Jacob, His chosen ones. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
As we turn to prayer, I want to encourage you uh, to use our Tuesday prayer group that gathers every Tuesday to pray faithfully for individuals, for our church, for our community, for our world. There is an email and a phone number in the bulletin of which you can reach me and them directly with either an immediate need that you need me or a um, prayer concern you would like to share with them and with me. I encourage you to use that in the prayer life of our church. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we read a familiar text today of the disciples stranded in a storm. And as we consider their fear, their anxiety, their isolation, their opportunity, their missed opportunity, their curiosity, help us, Lord, to place ourselves in that boat so that we can better understand that story. Help us to hear the words of Jesus Christ to them, that they may be words to us. Help us, Lord, as we go forth from this place and we get in our own boats, we go in our own directions, we experience our own storms. Help us, Lord, to draw on this day in which we sung together, we prayed together, we read this text together, and we learned of the strength that you give us all. It's in your Son's holy name who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It's now time for our offering, and you can give as the plate comes by, or you can give electronically with instructions on the back of your bulletin.
Today we're reading from Matthew 14, starting with verse 22. And that's found on page 1520 in your Hebrew Bible, or within a couple of pages of that. And I'm going to read parts of it and break up the reading, so if you'll keep it open if you like to read along. Matthew 14, verse 22. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I was interested in that word made. Jesus made the disciples. And uh, the internet, you can look very quickly. I just looked at four different translations of that word made. What did they do? Made, constrained, forced, insisted. Those are four different Bible versions of that word. Which Bible version do you think was constrained? Oh, let's just use this. Just do this one. If I do anything, it goes crazy. Constrained is the King James Version. Yeah, how many of y'all grew up reading the King James Version? Yeah, some, maybe so. Um, I had to Google it. We, you're definitely getting in that boat is the, is the answer to what we're doing. Jesus has them get in a boat immediately after feeding far more than 5,000 people. It says 5,000 men were fed. So if you consider their wives and if you consider their children, that many people were coming to Jesus to learn something, to be healed, to be inspired, whatever it may be. And he was already in despair. He was already sad. He was already broken by the fact that his forerunner, John the Baptist, and relative, who had gone before him in every way, yet deferred to him in every way, was now being held and contained by the king and the queen and would ultimately cost him his life. John the Baptist, who had taken all the heat, or the majority of the heat, of the religious leadership, was now going to be gone. His friend was going to be gone. His peer was going to be gone. And the one who had created all that space, Jesus was now going to have to do that. When Jesus learns that, more than 5,000 people come towards Him hoping for something. And in that, the way it sort of happens when you're exhausted or you're sad or you're tired, there's all sorts of people that want something. Or that's just when you notice it more. It's more elevated in your mind. They feed those people. It's a miracle. And again, Jesus goes away from the disciples to go up on a mountainside to pray. This is exactly what Moses did. Moses led the people with God's help out of Egypt, out of slavery, into the promised land. But before they got there, they were in the wilderness for a great amount of time. And there was a lot of confusion. There was a lot of wondering, how much food are we going to have? There was a lot of questioning of which direction we're going. Imagine six of you in a car on a vacation and just multiply that by thousands of people, an entire nation. And in the midst of that, Jesus, I'm sorry, Moses leads them all and goes up on the side of a mountain to gain clarity, to gain peace, to come down with the message that God was to give. Remember what the people did as he was up there? I don't know if he's coming back. I don't know if he cares about us. I don't know if God cares about us. You know what we ought to do? Let's take all of our jewelry. Let's combine it all together in one big pot. Let's melt it down. And let's make an idol to the God who does care about us, which has different pronunciations. It's B-A-A-L, Baal, Baal, whatever it may be. It's the God of the surrounding nations. And they say, maybe we should just worship that God. Maybe that God is the one that got us out. What do you think Jesus' people think as Jesus leaves them to go find clarity, purpose, the message that He's going to give? Well, there's only 12 of them. But you know they wonder. You know they question. You know they sometimes take matters into their own hands just as we would. So the question we're asking all sermon long is, why would we doubt? 
If we were in that situation, the reason we were doubt is because we were forced to get on a boat, even though we're on the water that we know like the back of our hand. We're forced to get on a boat. We just fed all those people. We're not sure where we're going, and we see some pretty dark clouds over there. And though they don't have an app uh, with radar on it on their phone, they probably don't need it. They probably can tell better than we can that a storm is coming. And so there's plenty of reasons to doubt. There's plenty of reasons to wander and to question. So it continues with verse 14. Later that night he was there alone, that being Jesus, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, Tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Y'all ever ask, Lord, if it is you? What's generally tied to that phrase? I'm sick. I've lost my job. My child is adrift. My parents are sick. Uh, my church is in turmoil. I don't know exactly what I'm doing or where I'm going. If it is you, what? Can you fix it? And then if you fix it, I'll know it's you. And I'll know that you care. I'm not making fun of it. Because every one of us have done it. What I'm asking us to do is to wonder out loud if we've done it with conditions. Lord, I will believe if you fix it. Who's making fun of Peter for wondering if that's Jesus coming on the water, walking towards him? No one. He gives the exact response any of us would. In fact, if I'm thinking, if there's three responses in that boat of the disciples, there's so overwhelmed with this situation, I don't even hear what you're saying. I heard you say walk towards me, but I'm not doing that. And then there's the one who always steps forward, who always takes control, always takes charge, Peter, who says, I'll do it. An opportunity of a lifetime. But the catch to that opportunity of a lifetime is a familiar place which has now become very frightening. Uh, there's times when I've gone with our youth in, in different churches to June Lusker, I've gone to Asbury Hills, or I've gone different places, and they say, hey, do you want to strap in and ride this thing down? Or do you want to go down this slide? Or do you want to parachute? Or do you want to whatever? Some of those are opportunities of a lifetime. Some of them I wonder, are they graded for someone my size? Have engineers thought this through for it not to be someone who's 5'9", 160? North of that. A little north of that. But you're... It's an opportunity of a lifetime to come out to Jesus, to be called by Him. But it's in the midst of being incredibly frightened for a bunch of reasons. Are you ever in a very familiar place as these guys are? They know this water. It's their whole life. They've been fishing here this whole life. But there's something entirely different today. You lived in a home 15 years, always feel safe in it. But you go away for a couple days and you come back and the sliding glass door wasn't locked, you weren't thinking. And all of a sudden, a place that feels very familiar, very safe, you think, hmm. Well, I've gone to Edisto Beach for our vacation for uh, since the 10th grade, whatever that math is. Um, 94 plus 6 plus 17, 23 years. Same house. It's Katie's grandparents' house. We've gone out the same path. We've gone to the same water. I went there as a friend, as a boyfriend. We got engaged there. I've had children there. I now have teenagers there. Not long, one of them will be driving me there, which is crazy. <laughs> same water. 
But there was something different this, this past week. This past week I was in that same water and a jellyfish with the fire of a thousand suns got my leg. Now I don't even have to, I can just stop right there. And I'm guessing 15 of you can go, <laughs> jellyfish. I got a story for you about jellyfish. It was bad in that moment, but Katie really treated it. I thought it was going to be fine. Like three days later, I woke up in the middle of the night and it was like fire. Went to the doctor. They gave me steroids. I'm currently on steroids. So this sermon is genetically enhanced <laughs> by medicine. And later this week, I'll be off of them. So no telling what's going to happen next week. Elaine Rush, who's been in this church a long time. She and her husband John served this church for a decade. She's dedicated her life to healing wounds. She came over to the house after choir practice. And I believe, a direct, this is a direct quote. She said, God, you must be amazingly tough. This is one of the worst things I've ever seen. You must be, you're the toughest person I've ever come across. Is that what she said? No. I said, is it going to spread? Is it going to spread, Elaine? Well, I touched it. Is it going to go here? What about soap? She said, look. Relax. It's been a total hassle. That's, that's the way I would describe it the most. Hassle. Enough of a hassle that the next time I go down that exact same path, in that exact same place, I'll think, mm. So, these boys aren't rookies. Their grandfather fished in this water. Their father fished in this water. They begged their dad to get on the boat to go out in this water before he set them. And if he's like my dad, he scammed them and said, I'll let you come a little bit. And then all of a sudden, one day he said, hey, grab the rope over there. You're carrying the net now. They've now grown up and they've lived in this water, but now this water is entirely different. Someone else is in charge of the boat. Someone else is now walking towards us the water. It's Jesus is someone we're accustomed to, but that doesn't make any sense. And now we're being asked to walk on it. So why would we doubt? Because a very familiar place has become a somewhat unsettling place, a somewhat frightening place. Verse 31. Immediately Jesus reached out His hand and caught Him. You of little faith, He said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed in the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Think about that last phrase. Think about the times that you have been most inclined to say that last phrase. I think it's directly tied to the times I was mentioning five, seven minutes ago about, Can you fix this if it's you? And when something goes our way, then we say, truly, you are the Son of God. But they just saw something pretty special. Are you more inclined to say it when you see a sunset on the mountains? Are you more inclined to say it when you see a new grandchild? Are you more inclined to say it when you see someone healed? Are you more inclined to say it in the midst of death? But you feel a sense of peace in that death surrounding that person and the entire family surrounding that person. I felt it in all four. But there's just moments when we say, truly, you are the Son of God. And Peter climbs back in the boat. He's soaking wet. They're all looking at him. Who knows what the reaction would have been if they said, hey, good for you, I wouldn't have done that. Or if they said, come on, look at him. He went out there again. But he's getting back in the water, back in the boat, and he's thinking. And we're asking, what do we do with failure? What are we supposed to do with that? What's Peter supposed to do with that? What are we supposed to do with that as we consider it? What are we supposed to do with that when we're experiencing it in life? I'm a couple of months away from being 40. And my answer at 25, 30, 35, and 40 would all be very different as to what I'm to do with failure or what we are to do with failure. I think the worst version of me of all time would have been 30. Because I would have said, oh, it's not going to happen. 
because I'm not going to let it happen. Because if I let it happen, and people see it happen, they may wonder if this church is what it should be. If they wonder what this church should be, maybe they won't come as much. If they don't come as much, maybe they won't give as much. If they won't give as much, maybe the numbers will change. If the numbers will change, I'm going to have to report that. And if I report that, then everyone will know. Does that sound like a faithful, happy, soul-filled minister? Mm -mm. It's because I was in a new church start and wanted to compete against every other new church start in that enormous community in Mount Pleasant. And I thought the only way that we can be faithful is to win. That's it. That's our only avenue that we're going to take. 40-year-old me is a little bit better. And maybe, y'all can tell me, maybe 50-year-old me will be a little bit better than 40-year-old me. 40-year-old me understands that failure is part of the process because we're asked to do something entirely different than we're understanding and capable of doing. Going beyond our selfish goals, going beyond the thing that we only want to do, going beyond if it is you, then I'll believe, and if you show me, then I'll believe. I'll say you're the Son of God if you do something cool right now. No. If we're trying to pull away from all those human tendencies, and we're trying to do that corporately, we're trying to do that in several different groups, and we're trying to do that as we're bombarded with examples of people looking out for themselves, in fact, there's going to be times when we don't get it right. In fact, there's going to be times when we fail. And so what are we to do with failure? Understand it. Learn from it. Move on from it. And the principal way I was able to move on from it was to be around a person consistently who was not wrapped up in it like I was. You know anybody like that? Um, Reverend Jerry Temple goes to our 9 o'clock service. He's retired from Buncombe Street and was my senior minister when that 30-year-old me went to Buncombe Street in 2011 thinking, I don't know, maybe I can be a truck driver. Maybe I can be a teacher. Maybe I can do anything but this because this seems to be grinding me to a place where I'm not going to survive or thrive. And I walked around him for four years having no desire in him to be right, to be in charge, to be perfect, but simply to be faithful. And I think it took all four years of me watching him do that. And all of a sudden I thought, okay, maybe failure is part of it. Maybe just being faithful is part of it. And that's the last thing I'm going to point out. What are we going to do with failure? Believe in the Son of God and believe that we are not Him. We simply call on Him. We simply pray to Him. We simply accept His invitations even when it comes in a very frightening place in our lives. The one who sets standards for wisdom, for patience, for compassion, for sacrifice. We look at that example and don't figure we have to live it 100% or do nothing. Instead, be inspired by it. Learn from it. And how can we even begin to do that? What's the image that, from the very beginning of this text? you got to pull away. You have got to find time, somewhere, somehow, to pull away and recognize all of these elements of this story. And I'll tell you why. Jesus had to do it. Figure if Jesus had to do it, you have to do it. Figure if Jesus needed space in the midst of pain, of loss, you need space. Figure if Jesus needed space after amazing miracles about feeding others, about serving others, that you do. Figure if He was intentional and tied back to what Moses did and what so many amazing biblical leaders did. They pulled away and sought clarity. What, Lord, can you teach me? How, Lord, can you help me with my doubt? 
How can you help me believe that you are the Son of God even without giving me everything on the ten things on my wish list? I encourage you as the season ramps up for whatever it may be, whether it be school or whether it be church or whether it be grandchildren or whatever it, whether it be work, as it ramps up, how can you find windows as Jesus did to navigate these storms in our lives that are not going to stop but are going to give us an opportunity to serve? That we may give wisdom. That we may offer patience. That we may share compassion. That we may sacrifice in the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you'll stand as you're able and join us with our hymn number 529.